became slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death. But now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit, resulting in sanctification and the outcome, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray together and we'll be seated. Lord, we thank you that when there are more than two gathered together, that you're in our midst. And we thank you, Father, that your spirit will speak to us this morning. We pray, Lord, you would open the hearts of your people, that they would be uh, soil ready to receive fertilizing and water and, and maybe some even seed, Lord. And we just pray that this morning you would open my mouth, that I would speak your word, that I would be as a sower, cultivating the ground, Lord, that you have already started to do a work in by your spirit. Lord, we need you. We have nothing without you. And we pray, Lord, that your grace would be evident this morning as your word goes forth. Lord, to your glory and your honor, Lord, call us to holiness, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, you can be seated. Well, we're at Romans 6, second half again this morning, and I feel like this, it's one of those passages where you wish you had time to preach Romans chapter 6 by its, just in one sitting, because it's so tied together. So we don't really need a new illustration this morning, because the illustration that I used last week applies this week. And uh, the reason we see that is because in verse 12, Paul says, therefore. So in, in light of the fact that we have been set free from sin, that we have died to sin, and we are raised again to life in Christ, that we are being united to Christ, then we should not, verse 12 do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies so that you obey its lusts. This is really important that we see this. He is commanding. This is, if you understand the English language and remember this from English 101, which I didn't, I had to relearn this when I learned a different language, but do, it's an imperative. When, when I tell my kids, do not run into the street... Is that, is that a suggestion? No. It's a command. If you don't, there will be consequences. And that's what Paul is doing here. This is the first time in this, this book that we really see a direct command to the people at Rome. And so he's saying, do not. Just That would have stood out to them because they haven't seen that yet. So this is the first true command to them. Do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies. What's the implication of this? They don't have to let sin reign in their mortal bodies. There's some way in which they have victory 
over sin. And this, for us, this applies to us as well. Sin should not have to reign in our, our mortal bodies. And if we are, are not overcoming that, there's a problem with us. And so today's message is titled, Who's Your Master? Who's Your Master? And the main point is, sin doesn't have to be your master. So, he says, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. So, don't obey sin. And how do we do that? And we see that in verse 13. He says, and do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. So, the first way that we don't allow sin to reign in our lives is to stop doing something. This is the negative. What did he say? He says, do not. Again, imperative. This is important, serious. This is a very important matter. Just as when I tell my kids, do not go to the street. It's the same thing. Do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. Presenting. What, what does that that make you think of putting yourself in a position to sin. I was thinking, how often do you hear someone who says, oh, I was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. And you know that the crime happened at a bad spot of town at like 3 a.m. And you're like, you weren't just in the wrong, you chose. You chose to be at that nightclub or wherever it may be at 3 a.m. in the morning. Nothing good happens at that hour. Right? So, when we present ourselves and our members, this word that is translated members can be body parts. So, he's talking about our physical being. When we present that to sin, we are saying, okay, use us to your willingness. This word instruments that's translated instruments here is like a weapon. I, I, th- I see a picture here of, of a knight, okay? So you have a knight who is presenting his horse and his, his, his weapons to a king. Who's the king? Sin. So, we're presenting ourselves to the king. I will fight for you. I will do your bidding. You're my Lord. You're my master. But God, what is he saying here? Don't be that, don't be that knight. Don't be that man who is presenting yourself to sin to do its will. Just like we talked about last week. Don't be a slave who says, goes back the next day when you've been set free and says, okay, Master, I've got my hand tools. I'll sleep in your slave quarters again, and I'll do what you want. That's what he's saying. Because, as we'll see at the end, the wages are the same. They're not changing. The, way, the wages don't change when you go back to your old master. 
They stay the same. But here's the positive. Start, so this is the positive side of this, start presenting yourselves to God as those alive from the dead. So we, we have this, this comparison, this contrast between what we should not do and here is what we should do. We should be presenting ourselves to God as those alive from the dead. We've been raised up with Christ, so we're alive. Why, why would we go back into death and sin? And in light of the, the prayer request we had this morning, it's, it's all the more stark. Because we see, what does the devil come to do? Steal, kill, destroy. He doesn't care how he gets there. As long as he destroys your life, and when we present ourselves to sin and our, our body as instruments of sin... We are doing His bidding. He, we are saying, you are my master. So who is your master? So as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness. So we see the complete opposite. You're either... Serving unrighteousness, you're, you're, you're doing unrighteousness, or you're doing righteousness. There's no, there's no in-between. This is why the devil, he, he's not okay. He's okay with whatever side of the spectrum we're on in unrighteousness, right? That's why the, and that's why we see in Revelation, you're lukewarm. I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. There, there's no option for us to be half Christians. There's no option for me to say, you know what, I'll be a slave to sin three days a week, and I'll be a slave to God four days a week. Or, as many want to do, I'll be a slave to God one day a week and serve sin the other six. How many people do we know like that? That they still go to church Sunday, they still sing all the songs, but if you saw them Saturday night, they would be drunk as a dog, staggering down the street. And all they talk about from Monday to Friday night is, man, I can't wait to go get wasted this weekend. Right? Or name it. It doesn't... Sexual sin, I mean, we hardly ever deal with that anymore in the church. I'm not saying... I'm talking about the name church. I'm not talking about the true church of Christ. Because if you're a church and you do not deal with sin, then we're, deal, we're in the wrong business. We're, we're serving the wrong master. If we, if we allow fornication, adultery, all of these things to be a part of our lives as Christians, constantly living in that, or lust, period, pornography and all, all that comes with that. I can name any sin that we can think of. Idolatry. Is, is your life all about some 
athletic figure or a, a sports team or is that all that matters? Because last night, my favorite team, they lost and my life's not over. And it lost to one of the teams I disliked the most. Not quite as bad as another one, but, um, but that's not my life. Do I enjoy those things? Yes, but that's the thing. When those things, when this world becomes more important than our walk with God, then we are saying, who's our master? Right? So who really is our master? I, th- I feel like that is the thing that Paul is getting at in this section of chapter 6. So he says, Present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For, I, I, I think I remember saying this last week, when we see the word for, he's he's saying this is why. This is why you don't present yourselves to sin. And this is why you present yourselves to God. For sin shall not be master over you. Isn't this great news? If this is not great news, then you need to be born again. Okay, everyone's excited. Um, (laughs) But sin shall not be. And this word, when we see shall not, he's talking about future. It will not be. You don't have to worry about sin being master over you anymore. This is great news. Because that is what the world often says. Well, you know, if I become a Christian, I'm not sure I can be free from sin. How many times have you heard that in sharing the gospel with somebody? I just don't know that I can give up sin. I I just don't know. Yes, if God does the work, you will not want to do sin. That doesn't mean that we don't fall into sin, but you won't live under its dominion. It will no longer be your ruler, that evil king. That's what he said here. Don't let sin reign. Again, that word is the same word we use for a king. So who's your master? Why? So, so first he says, for sin should not be master over you. That, that's the reason why we can not present ourselves to sin and why we present ourselves to God. And the reason that we don't have sin as our master anymore is for you are not under law but under grace. The second half of chapter 14. We're no longer under the law, under its weight and and. And all that. But we're under grace. We've experienced His grace. So this is to a Christian. He's not, he's not writing right now to unbelievers. Right? Because they're still under the law. It's not until God has moved by His grace in our life to open our eyes to the truth and set us free that we can say this. So... Now you're like, well, I'm not under the law. I'm under grace. I can just do whatever I want. Right? It, it comes back to the question that Paul answered in chapter 2. So Paul says that. What then? Verse 15. Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? He has the same response. Of course not. May it never be. 
May it never be. May it never happen. Not ever. That's really the, if you want a translation there. Not ever. And then Paul asks a rhetorical question to make a point here. He obviously knows the answer. And he says, do you not know? Have you not heard? Come on. What's, what's wrong with you? Have, you? have you forgotten that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are the slaves of the one whom you obey? They're saying, why would you go back and sin saying, well, I'm under grace? You're saying the opposite of what you're say, you, you say you believe. If God is truly your master, why would you present yourselves to his enemy? Right? Because when you present yourselves as someone's slaves to obey them, so if sin is your master, you present yourself to sin, I'll do your bid. You turn that TV on to that specific channel that you know is going to have a show that you shouldn't be watching, for example? Or or you walk out the door and say, you know what, I'm just going to go get a sip at, I don't know, the bars around here, but I'm going up to the liquor place down by the creek and I'm going to get a bottle. I'm just going to take a sip. It's no big deal. But what, what are you obeying then? Is it flesh or is it God? God has set you free and you're going back to it. You're saying, you know what? I don't trust this new master. I, th- I think this new master has, has it out for me. Are, are we like the, the Israelites? They come out of Egypt. They see mighty miracles. Mighty, mighty miracles. They see God's grace and power in their lives. And yet the moment they get over the Red Sea, well, after they, they do sing and dance, but the moment they encounter any difficulty, what are they saying? Oh, to go back to Egypt. Oh, it was so amazing there. Oh, I need my garlic and my leeks. I'm just tired of this nasty manna. Keith Green had a song about manna. It's a pretty... A pretty funny song, but it just makes that the point. Could you imagine eating manna for 40 day, for 40 years? But that's the thing. God was providing. How, how, how often do we do the same thing? We, we, we say, oh, I love the Lord, but we seek other ways to get what we want. We, we're not content in what He has provided so we present ourselves to someone else as a slave. We'll get more into what I'm actually saying later on in, in Romans. But oftentimes, we go to the car dealer and say, you know what? I want that brand new $40,000 car. I make $4,000 a year, but, you know, i got to have that car. Or whatever it may be. How are we presenting ourselves to sin to be its slaves? There's so many ways that we do this. 
I think often of indentured servants. They would get on ships in England and um, even Spain to come to the New World. And what would they have to do? They would, they would have to work their way across. They would be working on the ship on their way across, and then they would be sold to someone until they worked off their value, the value of their trip. And so they were like slaves until the day that they paid. And sometimes these indentured servants pretty much lived their lives as slaves because they wanted to be in the Americas. They wanted a new start, and, and they believed these, some, of these, some of these men were honest, and they did. They let them go. But some were wicked men, and, and they had no intention of letting these men and women free. And that's the difference, because we're going to see a contrast. Oh, we were slaves to sin, but now we're slaves to righteousness. And people say, well, why would I trade slavery to one to another? Because one master actually cares for you. One master doesn't seek to destroy you and kill you. One master gave his life to purchase you. To purchase your freedom. So... We are slaves to the one whom we obey, either of sin, verse 16, resulting in death, or obedience, resulting in righteousness. Why, why wouldn't you want to serve God? You know where sin's leading. Death. Eternal death. Eternal punishment. There, there's no good payment for sin. There's a short-term pleasure with most sin, but it doesn't last. How many of us have given in to temptation and then that pleasure lasts for seconds and then guilt comes. God is... Honing in on us. Caleb, stop. You can't enjoy this. This is not of me. Or whoever it is this morning. The fleeting pleasures of sin are so short. The promises that they give, oh, it's going to be the greatest thing ever. Right? Isn't that the way the devil gets you? And then the moment... You sin, the devil's right on you. See, God won't want you anymore. He, he doesn't want you to be in His kingdom anymore. Why would you go to God and ask Him? Because He's an evil, wicked taskmaster. Why would you want to serve Him again? Why would you want Him to be your master? Paul, this isn't all choose one or the other. Because what do we see in verse 17? But thanks be to God. What great way to say it. 
Thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin. What is this? Past. Past tense. You used to be slaves of sin, but God did something. God changed your heart. Why? Because he says, you became obedient from the heart. What does the Bible say about the heart? It's desperately wicked. That's why he's saying, but thanks be to God, because it's only by God's grace and his work in our lives that our hearts can obey and want to obey. Just as Ezekiel 36 says, I will put a new spirit within you, a new heart so that you will follow me. Unless God does that, we will never obey God. That's why Paul is thanking God. He's, but God, thank you. We were slaves of sin, but we became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which we were committed. This word committed is entrusted. So he's not saying that we personally were committed to it, but that that word was committed to us. That we were entrusted with the truth of God's word. And that when we became obedient from the heart, the work of the Holy Spirit, in that, that is what transformed us. That's what faith is. It's obedience from the heart. It's not that we're obeying just to obey. That's not enough. That is empty religion. That's, that's what the law had created. They were just doing what they were supposed to do. And even then, they were constantly doing it wrong. But when we obey from the heart, that's what God wants. What did it say about King David? Was King David a perfect man? No. He committed adultery with his best friend's wife. Well, they were good enough friends that he and uh, Uriah fought together a lot. He was one of David's mighty men. So they were pretty good friends. I mean, that, to be that close to the palace, he must have been pretty good friends. And then, not only that, he killed his best friend by sending him in the heat of the battle because he knew he wouldn't quit. What a righteous man was Uriah. And then he tried to cover everything up. But God got a hold of him. And, and I, I, I would be willing to say that that whole time, David was tormented by guilt. Why? Because his heart was towards God. And though, though he had fallen deep into sin, God had a different plan. And what did it say? David was a man after God's own heart. And that's the problem. Oftentimes, we start with obedience and we try to bring our heart along. And God says it has to start with the heart. If our heart is still serving another master, then we'll keep obeying them. But if our heart is sold out and been given to the Lord, then we'll serve willingly. It's no longer a, oh, I have to love my wife. Ugh. Right? Or, oh, I have to love my children. Oh, I have to love my enemy. Oh, I'm not doing that. That's too hard. Yes, obedience is not easy. 
But when it's from the heart, it's done willingly and with joy. And that's what people ask. Why do you have hope? What's the hope that you have within you? Because you're doing things that they would never do willingly and happily. They can't understand why you would love that employee who stole something from you or why you would love the customer that's seeking to just make your name bad among other people or or why you would try to take care of that person who's hurt your family or your church or whatever it may be. So we become obedient from the heart to the form of teaching. And I would say this is the gospel. And this this is something so important. Our obedience has to be to something. We are going to obey someone. You don't just obey nothing. We will have a master. And the question is, whose message are we listening to? Are we listening to the Word of God, the teaching of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, or are we maybe listening to the Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, Seventh-day Adventists, or anything that our world is preaching today? There is an onslaught on the Christian truth today. There's an onslaught, an attack against the truths of God's Word, especially as it regards marriage and being a man, what a man and a woman is. I don't know if you know, but this year the, the word of the year was the word they, and it doesn't refer to third person plural. It refers to Someone who's not sure about their identity. Isn't that incredible? Could you imagine reading an article and not knowing now? There are articles in the New York Times and many other publications now that they're using the word they for people who identify as something other than male or female. I don't know how you figure that out in context. I really don't. Because you can't say she or he. I don't even know who they're talking about. What if you have a th- what if you're referring to a group of people and a singular person and you use the same word? I That's a side note, but it just shows we will be listening to something. Something will be grabbing our attention and drawing us to follow. If our master is not Jesus Christ, we will have a master And his name, or its name is sin. That's what Paul is getting at here. In verse 18, And having been freed from sin, so since you have been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. So we didn't just, God didn't just get us, get rid of one of our masters. He became our master. That's why we say, Our Lord, the word Lord is the word 
for a master. And that's why oftentimes when you hear the gospel or a false gospel taught, no one calls them to follow Jesus. They call him, you know, if you just say a prayer and come to church every week, you'll be okay. No. That's not making Christ your Lord. He's only Lord for two hours on Sunday. The rest of the day, you're whatever it may be, watching the NFL and and whatever. Again, I'm not an anti-sport person. I'm just using a common idol of of our our nation, our people, our culture. If we are not serving God every day, is He really our master? I know, I know how difficult it is. It's not like I get to sit in a study all week just studying the Word and not having to deal with real people. No, I, I don't have that opportunity. I deal with real people every day in my work, and I know it's not always easy to serve righteousness. It's not always easy to be a slave to God because I wanted to tell off one of my customers, say, you're, you're trying to cheat me, right? All the guys here and, and, and some other here have, have experienced that desire to tell them off. But what happened? There was a check. That's not how I want you to do that. You're like, oh, Lord, just this once. Just let me just... Mm. But that's what the devil wants. He, he wants us to give in to the old man. He wants us to go back and act like we haven't been freed from sin. To let sin back in. Just the Sin just wants a little door. Sin typically retakes control of our lives one small bit at a time. There's a song called Slow Fade, and it is so true. How many of us have seen someone we grew up with or who seemed to be on fire for the Lord and they're not following the Lord anymore? They, it started slowly. First it started with this, and then, and then they started doing that, and you're like, you said something to them, and they kind of got offended. Said, oh, that doesn't mean I'm going back. But today they're not following the Lord at all. One of, one of my, one person that God really used in my life as a young teenager, giving up everything. I mean, he had a, at that time, seemingly a great heart for the Lord, and my heart breaks for him when I think about what his life is like today. It's not over, there's hope. For him, but it was a slow fade. He he had been freed, seemingly freed from sin, but he loved its mastery too much. You know why I be- want to become a slave of righteousness? I feel like if we think about the story of the prodigal son, remember he's sitting in a pig's pen contemplating whether he should eat the food that's being given to pigs. 
That's, that's about as bad as it gets. When you're just trying to decide if you want to fight the pig for the food. <laughs> so he's sitting there and it, he, he realizes a light bulb goes on in his head. Oh, if I go and serve my father, I will eat well. I'll just go back and be a slave. I, I, I don't need to be his son anymore. I just want to be his slave because he'll provide for me. I've seen the way he treats his slaves, his servants. So I'm just going to go back and ask my dad to be his servant. And that's the, the, the incredible thing. Though we are slaves, guess what? When we get to Romans chapter 8, we are adopted as sons. And you, you hear about this sometimes in history, not often, where a slave owner would adopt a slave? That didn't happen very often. Very rare. I, I couldn't even find an example, but I've, I've heard stories. Yet, when we become slaves of righteousness, our desire changes. Our heart, it's a, it's a heart change. And Paul, Paul's using human terms, it says here in verse 19. says, I am speaking in human terms because of the weakness of our flesh. We can't totally understand this transformation from slavery to sin. Now we're slaves of righteousness. And he says to, to, to see this, For just as you presented yourselves, your members, your body, as slaves to impurity... And to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness. So you used to do this. This is all past tense. This is why I'm saying he's talking to believers. So you used to do this. You used to be just sold out to sin. Literally. We use that expression, sold out to the Lord. But that means that you were sold out somewhere else before. So we, we used to present our members to impurity, to lawlessness. Was that like a life where law is no value to you? Some of us can especially relate to this. Growing up, I rebelled against my parents. Thankfully, God, God got a hold of me early because it would have been bad. I know, I know that I would not have, uh, I probably would have, if God had waited till I was 20 something to save me, I would have had one of those, you know, I would probably have been tatted up and drugs and all that. Who knows? I don't, I just know I would have loved sin. We all, if God doesn't get a hold of us, we love sin. Whether that looks like tattoos and, and drugs and all that or not, it doesn't matter. Our sin is against God. It's an infinite God. And so some of us have given ourselves to impurity and lawlessness, breaking the law, the laws of our land, but specifically the laws of God. And so when we present ourselves to, to be slaves to impurity and lawlessness... 
That was us in the past. That's who we were. But now, so you used to do that, but now or so now, present your members as slaves to righteousness. So when we present ourselves as slaves to impurity and lawlessness, what was the result? More lawlessness. Don't we see that in the world? When people start to live in sin, it doesn't stop with there, right? It, it multiplies and, and their desire for sin increases. But the, here's the difference. When we present our members as slaves to righteousness, it results in holiness, sanctification. What a blessing that we, we are definitively or when we are born again, Christ purchased our sanctification. But the outward transformation that comes, that, that part of sanctification, that, that outward holiness, is a result of presenting ourselves to God. By His Holy Spirit. We can't ignore this. There is a requirement that God has on us, just as there is a requirement that God, God has done everything, but He empowers us by His Holy Spirit to serve Him. We couldn't do it on our own. Verse 20, and this is where we see it. For when you were slaves to sin, so when we were slaves, past, you were free in regard to righteousness. What does this mean? He's saying, you had no ability to do righteousness. You were so enslaved to sin that anything you did was unrighteous. There was no, and this is the thing where many churches mess up. They, they think, oh, you can clean yourself up. No. <laughs> How can a pig clean himself? Not possible. Because what's that? If you could actually convince a pig to clean themselves up, what are they going to do the next moment after they're clean? Jump straight back in the mud. Because that feels good. Right? Feels good. And that's the way it is with sin. There's nothing in us that desires righteousness, there's nothing in us that can do righteousness. It must be given us by Christ. It's only in Christ that we can be made righteous. We are either slaves of God or slaves of sin. Slaves of righteousness or slaves of sin. Though so who is our master? Therefore, in light of all that we've seen here, what benefit were you then deriving from the things of which you're now ashamed? Like, what, what were you, what was the benefit of all the evil, wicked things that you did then? What was the payment? What does he say? For the outcome of those things is death. What, what's Paul saying? Why would you go back into sin? Why would you enjoy sin when you know the payment, that what you're really getting out of it is death? 
Why, why would you go back? For the only benefit you got was more death, more lawlessness. But now, see, we see, first we have death on one side. That's the outcome. That's the payment for our sin and, and slavery to sin. 